0: Well read. An ochre interlude. This week I took refuge in the land, sky and sea. We cleaned rubble and rocks from Holy Well while the tea brewed. How quick such work is with two sets of hands. It will take me a while to process what the medieval misericords, harvest moon, wild bees, white rocks and red ochre said to me. So instead, while next week's essay percolates, Here's a visual dive into the red ochre closest to my heart. When I came to return to my flat yesterday, the UK train strike meant I was home very late, then spent many hours packing bright earths and soft clays, oak gulls, berries, feathers and reeds for my natural art material students at the and ground course at Dartington tomorrow. So I write to you late from a bed in Bristol where I'm staying with friends in preparation for heading to teach tomorrow, hopefully bringing people land and creativity, into good relation. I recorded this piece when I got back home. This afternoon was spent with my great friend, Nick Hunt, and his photogenic dog, Otto. Years ago, Nick stumbled upon a valley near Bath, the site of a now-defunct ochre works, which ran for hundreds of years. When he sent me the pictures of Otto's red feet, I could not believe the intensity of the colour. I'd never seen anything like it. Within a week, a parcel of uncanny weight arrived at my boat and on opening it, I found the deepest red hematite powder with mica sparkles. Imagine looking at a deep purple-red velvet cloth with tiny silver sequins spread across a woodland floor and you will get an idea of the sumptuousness of this pigment. That year, I went to collect a little for myself with Nick and now we return when we meet to walk the public footpaths visit the great trees, gather a little earth, and to visit the wild bees whose hive is a gnarled oak. There's more about this colour from our collaboration with the Wild Pigment Project. The link is in the piece. We have now visited in every season. Spring with its wild garlic and lords and ladies, summer with circling herons, Autumn, today, with bees feasting on the honey-scented final flowers of the year, grape-ivy blossom. And winter, with bare black branches, hard against white sky and red earth, in alchemical clarity. The site is no pristine place. It has abandoned mine foundations, a huge open-cast quarry at the end, disused rail lines, ochre-tailing dumps, and inscrutable industrial fittings in amongst the trees. But I love this place precisely for its lack of purity. The hallucinogenic glades sit beside gritty rubble, sandwiched, as it is, amongst agricultural land, a private estate, and an industrial quarry. The first time I made paint from red, orange, and yellow sent from Clearwell Caves, I knew that ochre was something that would one day loom large in my life. Last year, I took some of the bath ochre to Jonathan, the free miner at Clearwell, and we compared the colour, mica content and depth of the reds and purples, speaking in rushed words and hushed tones. For the relatively small amount of people around the globe for whom ochre is an abiding fascination, these shared red moments are the stuff of dreams. Now, with a few small bags of red, purple and yellow, freshly gathered today from under fallen trees and fox-dig spots, in a place already abandoned by industry, I will be able to take the students through the ethics of foraging, the refinement of pigment, and finally their uses, with earths I love and have gathered with my own trowel. But what is this place, at heart, for me? It is a vast chapel, replete with the finest stained glass, the green canopy, with the greatest terracotta floor, graced by earthworm casts of pure Rosso Inglesi. So, now I am again, well-read. I lunched on oatcakes cakes and cheese with Nick beside the humming bees, flowing back to their hive with pollen sacks of bright yellow ochre, while Otto rested in peaceful land joy against the cool loam in an oak root frame made for his long nose. This feeling is not unique to dogs. We humans know it too, if only we would humble ourselves a little. I'm lucky, Oka bids me bend low to know her. So, this creature finds her best medicine beside a murky river in the edgelands of a town, in the wake of crumbling empire that never should have been one, in the company of good fellows, canine, human, apis and arboreal. If you too are here in the UK and want to share locations of ochre spots, red rock places and ruddy cliffs or fields with me, then get in touch. I'm beginning to research an exciting project that I mentioned briefly last week, which hopes to plot walking routes between ochre places, holy wells and springs of southern England at first, then hopefully further afield. This will take shape over the coming year, so if you'd like to be a part of creating it, just let me know. I envisage some great walks and works along the way before it becomes a public offering with perhaps a map and guide. Greetings to you from my journey west. A more structured article will appear next week following on from last week's piece about yielding. But for now, enjoy the sounds of bees and the iron oxide colours of good red earth. Peace on your week ahead. This week's Good thing. The Red Tent. My friend and Dark Mountain colleague, Charlotte Ducan, has now joined Substack. I cannot recommend her writing enough. Her books, 52 Flowers That Shook My World, and After Ithaca, are both trenchant, instructive, and full of wild beauty, myth, and a fierce desert light. Her great piece, Seven Coats, is well worth your time, and is a good place to start while you await her essays here. There are more good links on her welcome page. Welcome, Charlotte.